All right, as we head into warmer weather across much of the U.S. in the coming months, one way to stay cool and continue to get a good night's sleep is by checking out Bull and Branch Bedding and Sheets. They're a brand that we love here at Mo News. We only endorse products that we love. And we've been using Bull and Branch for more than two years now in our home. The sheets have been great, soft, breathable fabric that works for both cold and warm weather. We noticed the quality immediately and have gotten a few different sets in our house. I know Jill has as well. They're made with 100% organic cotton, completely free from toxins. I know that is very important to a number of you. And it's not just sheets. They have blankets, duvets, pillows, a whole variety of products to ensure you get a good night's sleep. And right now, they have a great deal for the Mo News community. Go check them out. I promise you will not be disappointed. Again, they get softer with every wash. So the deal right now is 15% off your order when you use the promo code MONEWS over at bullandbranch.com. That is bullandbranch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D, branch.com, promo code MONEWS for 15% off. Exclusions do apply. See site for details. Hey, everyone. It is Tuesday, June 21st, the first official day of summer. I'm Moshe Wanunu, and you're listening to the Mo News Podcast. I'm joined, of course, by my colleague and friend, Jill Wagner. Hey, Jill. Hey, Moshe. Hope you uh, and all of our listeners had a really good weekend. I just want to mention, I loved the Mo You Know podcast that you put out yesterday all about Juneteenth. I told you afterward, I learned a lot from it. So really, thank you for putting that together. I, uh, I'm glad you did. We will be trying to be doing more, um, of these sorts of, you know, deep dive less than 10 minutes. So it was a request by a few folks on Instagram. Please send us your ideas. By the way, we have an email address, contact mo news at gmail.com. Uh, this week we have some good episodes coming, uh, coming up as well. Uh, we'll have a slightly lengthier one tomorrow, Wednesday on the history of gay marriage and that movement. And thanks, of course, to everyone. All your listens, follows, and reviews have put us as a top 10 news podcast on Apple, a top 20 on Spotify, and top 40 overall in all categories on Apple. So remember to follow the show and leave us a review if you if you haven't already. Um, it, it really is incredible. Seriously, everyone, thank you so much for just the overwhelming response to this. Here is what we are working on today. Travel chaos. Thousands of flights were delayed across the country this weekend. What's behind it and how long might it last? It's official. Kids six months and older can now get a COVID vaccine. But are parents lining up to get their kids vaccinated? And the crypto winter is upon us. Uh, talking about summer, Mosh. <laughs> yeah. I keep just thinking of Game of Thrones, though, every time we hear winter is coming or crypto winter. Crypto winter just sounds dark, right? Nuclear winter, crypto winter. And it's uh, <laughs> ironic because today, as of 5.14 a.m., is the day when the North Pole tilts closest to the sun. So today, folks, enjoy the daylight. Uh, for the next couple of days, you will have more daylight than you will have the rest of the year. And then, as you noted earlier, Jill, it's all downhill from there. I know this because my husband gets so depressed. He's like, oh, no, it's going to get darker earlier. I'm like, it's still after 8 o'clock. Don't worry about it. And, and enjoy it. We'll have a couple a couple good weeks here where uh, it'll be light, especially for all of you listening in the Northern Hemisphere, of course. Okay, so let's start here with the total travel chaos that was the long Juneteenth Father's Day holiday weekend. Since Thursday, more than 19,000 U.S. flights were canceled or delayed. American and Delta had the most cancellations so far. 
Over 4,200 U.S. flights were delayed, 900 canceled on Sunday alone. So what is the reason? What is going on here? It's a combination of a lot of factors like staffing shortages, although the airlines are mostly blaming severe storms and extreme weather for this weekend's issues. There's also been an explosion in demand as Americans are looking to travel after two pandemic summers. Yeah, I've seen it referred to as revenge travel for uh, for the last two years where no one got to travel. And of course, Jill, this follows Memorial Day weekend where uh, many Americans were pretty unlucky. 2,800 flights were canceled that weekend and 20,000 were delayed. Wait, uh, who is it revenge on? Is it revenge on the virus? Yes, it's, <laughs> or, it's revenge or the air, travel. I mean, no, I don't think the airlines. I think you're, you're coming back to the airlines. I think this is revenge on COVID. You're like, COVID has burned me two straight summers. Got it. So no matter what, no matter the prices, no matter the <laughs> gas prices, no matter the Uber prices, I am going to travel this summer. And so that's what's going on. People getting to the airports and then finding out that their flight might be delayed or canceled. Secretary Buttigieg, the transportation secretary, had a meeting last week with a number of the airlines. He told them, please stress test your schedules. It does appear that the airlines are sort of working off the rust from COVID the last two years. And by the way, this is not isolated to domestic travel. Uh, Saw reports over the weekend, places like London, Amsterdam, hundreds of flights were canceled or delayed at those uh, airport hubs. And there were reports of six-hour security lines at Amsterdam, which is a, a huge transit hub if you've ever flown through there. Six hours. Um, Unfortunately, it looks like this could be the new norm. And I hate that expression because we're we're so overusing it, the new normal. But it does feel like this could be the new norm because Axios is reporting that airlines aren't going to be fully staffed until 2024. Uh, There was a quote in USA Today from Kyle Potter of the Thrifty Traveler. He said, quote, I think every single part of the travel industry from the airlines to airport employees to security agents, they all just got caught flat footed by this explosion in demand. I'm confused, though, Mosh, and if you can help me out here, because at the start of the pandemic, when travel came to a halt, the Trump administration let these airlines use bailout money. And we are talking billions of dollars. Right. To not lay off workers. So what happened? I understand weather-related travel delays, but what did these airlines use the bailout money for, if not to keep their staff? I, I mean, I think for some of them, I, I haven't gone to their quarterly earning statements to see exactly what they did with it. I mean, they are publicly traded companies, so I think we are sort of entitled to find out. I mean, one of the things, they, they just try to stay afloat, right? Try to stay in business. Because even if you look at this huge boost in travel, TSA, if you look at the number of travelers who are going through TSA checkpoints, still not quite at um, pre-COVID levels, even though we've seen this huge surge. So the airlines had to basically withstand two years, uh, not only not of growth, but of of cuts. Now, the carriers are still, say, they're restoring operations, staffing levels. One of the things the airlines are dealing with is the same thing many businesses in America are dealing with, which is a lack of workers, even with raises, etc., Uh, Some of the carriers are saying they are going to pare back some of flying plans to account for these staffing shortages. I think they just went in robust. And the problem is they have such little bandwidth that a couple sick calls or a couple delays really throws the entire system out of whack. One of the things to keep in mind, meteorologists will tell you, is that the spring and summer thunderstorms are much more unpredictable than winter storms. Uh, One thing that I found notable, too, is that with this whole move to Florida during COVID and tourism to Florida... Uh, airlines are working with FAA in terms of how crowded the airspace now is over Florida, trying to figure out if they can fly planes at lower levels or higher levels to try to just get more planes into Florida. So like many things in life in America, 
blame Florida for some of our issues. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so the FAA says they're going to hire more air traffic controllers. I mean, but at the end of the day, you have a pilot shortage, you have an air traffic controller shortage, you have a um, you know shortage across the industry, like you have in all industries. And so I think you know if you're if you were looking to get into uh, aviation, now is the time. They're paying well. That's so funny, though, um, about Florida. I never really thought of it, but it makes a lot of sense. Also, you, first of all, you're calming me down. You're, you're talking me off the ledge here of just going yeah. crazy on the airlines. In fairness, though, to them, there was a pilot shortage, actually, even before the pandemic. Um, and it's a highly skilled profession. So if, if there's even an airline right now that says, all right, let's hire more pilots. Let's put these bonuses in. Depending on the person's skill set, they're probably going to need a lot of training. So it's not like you could just start. It's not like you just hire somebody and they start the following week. Also, notably on Instagram, I did notice a lot of the comments from people who work in the industry on your Instagram account who said, be patient. It's not their fault. They're frustrated. They're overworked as well. And I think that's really important. Yeah. And one thing to keep in mind, a couple other ones that have just come in today, by the way, Jill, is also uh, don't book the last flight of the day if you can help it. Uh, I often like to book as much as it pains me to wake up that early, the first flight of the day, because typically the plane is there overnight. So that prevents some issues. Typically, summer storms are more afternoonish storms. So morning travel uh, benefits you. And also think about travel strategically. You know, it might take some more time on Google, but if you look at the airlines that have several flights a day to a city, you tend to do better with those as opposed to flying on an airline that might only have one flight a day to a specific city, because then you're really rolling the dice. Uh, right. And they're saying, you know, expect in some ways that there are going to be issues. Don't go in expecting that everything's going to run smoothly. So, Moshe, I've got my Seinfeld quote of the day for you. Um, you know how to take the reservation. You just don't know how to hold the reservation. And that's really the most important part of the reservation. <laughs> that's a completely separate issue I have with airlines. But yes, good uh, you, you, you've earned your point for the day. I was struggling. I was really struggling today. And then when you were talking about Florida, uh, which I did not know that you were going to mention that I, there's, there's those, the Florida Seinfeld episodes are so good. I probably could have pulled something from there too. Del Boca Vista. Yes. yes. <laughs> I could have just ad libbed that and been like, Oh, too many people are flying to Del Boca Vista. Um, okay. On the COVID front, starting today, parents in many places in the U.S. could take their youngest kids, six months to five years old, to go get a COVID vaccine. This follows the CDC's official recommendation this past weekend. Many states, though, had pre-ordered the vaccine. So doctor's offices, pharmacies may already have them. There are about 17 million kids that fall into this age group, the last Americans to become eligible for vaccination against COVID. And while it is true that most young kids have relatively mild symptoms, medical experts point out that COVID is the fifth most common cause of death in children ages one to five. That is not insignificant. So most Pfizer and Moderna now have both have approved vaccines. Walk us through the differences. So the biggest difference people should know uh, if they're interested in getting their a six-month-old to five-year-old vaccinated is that the Moderna vaccine is a two-dose vaccine. The Pfizer vaccine is a three-dose vaccine. So over with Moderna, uh, two shots spaced four weeks apart. Each shot contains a quarter of an adult dose. So I guess that adds up over the two of them to half an adult dose. It produced antibody levels in the test similar to those seen in young adults. The efficacy, there's a lot of numbers here, against symptomatic infection is at 51% for children 6 to 24 months old, 37% uh, for children's two through five. Then you have the Pfizer vaccine, similar immune response, but it took three doses. 
each dose being one-tenth of an adult dose. So I guess that takes you up to a third of an adult dose over three doses. The company is reporting efficacy of 80% for children under five. But keep in mind the following. You always got to read the fine print. That Pfizer statistic, about 80% of efficacy, is based on a 10-child trial where three of the kids received the vaccine, seven received the placebo. So the CDC is saying, in effect, we don't sort of kind of have efficacy data for Pfizer, even though you see that 80% headline number. I don't understand. Only 10 people, only 10 kids were part of this trial? I I, I, I need to read further into it, but I that headline did catch my attention that it was 80% efficacy, but based on three kids and a 10. So, you know, I, I think it, it does speak to the fact that some people are um, still waiting for more data, frankly. Okay, a dozen, Pfizer especially. a dozen countries, by the way, including China, already vaccinate kids under five with other brands. There is some hesitation, though, amongst parents. An April survey from the Kaiser Family Foundation found just 18% of parents of kids five and under said they will vaccinate their child as soon as the vaccine becomes available. About 40% of those surveyed say they're going to wait and see. The rest say that they're definitely not going to or that they'll only do it if required. Curious what you're hearing from readers on this, Mosh. It's it's about similar to those numbers, Jill. Uh, you know, I, I have a large following, uh, women under the age of 40, so a lot with young kids. And I would say that sounds about accurate. One in five celebratory saying they're going to go out and do it, and then nearly half saying uh, waiting for more data. I also think so many kids have already had it. And I know immunity wanes both from natural infection and also the vaccine, but that's partly what I'm hearing in my circles, which are basically 40 and under women. Um, most people are, are going to, they tell me they're going to talk to their doctor. But for a lot of parents, their kids just had COVID within the last three to six months. So they'd maybe rather wait until the fall. So I, I think the jury's still out to see, to see what's going to happen here. And I think for a lot of us in all age groups, I think we're all waiting for the fall to find out like, okay, what are we looking ahead uh, towards uh, this winter? What sort of variant should we expect? Do we continue to see the sort of uh, Omicron style variants or God forbid something worse? And so um, what, what does that mean? Where do we go? When we have this conversation in September, hopefully we have some more data. One thing, Mosh, that I, I wanted to hit on that you did mention, but I think it's really important the Moderna and the Pfizer vaccines, the Moderna, as you mentioned, a, a quarter of the adult dose, Pfizer, BioNTech, that's only one-tenth of the adult dose. So when we talk about three vaccines, three doses of Pfizer, for example, it's still the reason that you know, the, the basically these companies start with a, such a low bar because they would rather just make sure that there are going to be no crazy side effects or, or nothing harmful from the vaccine. So that's actually the issue, which is why Pfizer especially needed three doses, because they're, it, it's so much less potent than the adult dose. Just something to keep in mind, I think, for parents as they're maybe thinking, I'm giving my kid three doses of a vaccine for this virus. Um, it's still just a tenth of the adult dose. Okay, let's talk crypto. It is technically, as we were mentioning, the first day of summer, but crypto is in a bit of a winter. Over the holiday weekend, Bitcoin fell below $20,000, actually dipping below $18,000 for the first time since November of 2020. For some context here, at its peak in November of 2021, Bitcoin topped $68,000. There was a bit of a rebound, Bitcoin up about 7%, uh, trying to hold a above that 20,000 mark. Still, many are questioning if this is the end of the road for crypto, equating it to the dot-com bust in the 90s. 
There are definitely a lot of parallels. I recently talked to longtime New York Stock Exchange broker Peter Tuckman about it. My favorite question to ask any sort of crypto expert is what inning are we in here? He thinks it's still early, despite the latest setbacks. But I think at the end of the day, we're going to see the ones that really have no value that are just, you know, just a fabrication of of a phenomenon sort of go out with the the bathwater. And you're going to see the few that really have people behind them that actually do have some value are tied to something and have a bit of a foundation are the ones that are going to rise up. They'll survive. They will end up becoming uh, a, a part of payment services. They will actually have a value. You'll be able to buy a car with them, buy a dinner with them or whatever else there is. So I think it's very much in the beginning. It's going through the growing pains that anything new goes through. Moshe, I think that's great insight. I don't think people realize how many coins there actually are. And I would have thought crypto would be a hedge against the markets. But instead, we're seeing in most cases that as the overall market rises, in particular the tech sector, so does crypto and vice versa. As it falls, it takes crypto right down with it. So what's going on? Yeah, it's so interesting because when you talk to some crypto people, they were like, well, this is an alternative investment and we don't just roll with the markets. But you found out, especially as some institutional investors got involved in crypto, especially in the last two years, that basically you can watch the New York Stock, you can watch you know, the Dow, the S&P and Bitcoin all sort of roll together uh, if you put them on a line graph. Uh, I do think that that comparison you made uh, was apt to the dot-com bubble. Because what's interesting about the dot-com bubble is, yes, you know, pets.com and some other websites went bust there in 2000, but the internet was here to stay. And I think you'll hear a lot of uh, people who have been investing in this and believe in a future for crypto say, listen, we have a bubble here. With the burst, with this collapse, you will see some, they like to refer to some of these coins, it rhymes with Bitcoin, but it's a four-letter <laughs> expletive. Um, some of these coins, these non-Bitcoin, uh, will go away for good, but ultimately the best, the quality, uh, crypto rise to the top and be able to withstand this sort of crypto winter that is upon us. Right. Which is basically, which which is basically Peter's point. And I, I do think that it makes a lot of sense. Um, and you and I, interestingly, I just, you know, as, as we talk about the behind the scenes, how the sausage gets made, et cetera, it's, it's hard to find an expert on crypto, you know, because we're like, do we go to the old school guys who've been around and are maybe skeptical? Do we go to the, the, the newer guys or gals who are all, you know, all excited about crypto and say, forget it, this is just going to be a dip. This is a great chance to buy. Everyone is is really kind of, you know, ha- is staked into their position here. Right. Yeah. I mean, th- there are the deniers, right? There's the Warren Buffetts and those old school investors who are like, there's no, I don't understand the inherent value in this. Like, I'm never putting my money in this. Then you do have some people that have invested in it. Then you have the people who are like, no, Buying a Bored Ape Yacht Club uh, NFT is a great deal at half a million dollars. Um, So there's a whole range of things. What is interesting is that one indication that you can take that we're here to stay in terms of crypto, at least some forms of crypto, depending on how long this sort of winter lasts, is that Congress is getting involved, looking to regulate digital assets. uh, And you have enough institutional investors, uh, you know, from, from legitimate banks who have gotten into the crypto world. Uh, one indication of it all is that, you know, you turn on CNBC or one of the financial channels and 
when they show the stock prices at the bottom of the screen, they're flipping through Bitcoin, they're flipping through Litecoin, they're flipping through Ether. So one indication that, you know, uh, at least there's enough institutional investors interested in the future of crypto that they're rolling through it a couple times in a minute. Okay, time now for our speed read from the AP. January 6th committee setting its sights on Pence, Ginny Thomas. Members of the House committee investigating the Capitol riot said Sunday they may subpoena former Vice President Mike Pence and are waiting to hear from Virginia Ginny Thomas, the wife of Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas, about her role in the illegal plot to overturn the 2020 election. Most the next hearing is this afternoon. According to CBS News, the session is going to be focusing on President Trump's efforts to pressure state officials as part of this bigger campaign to stay in office for a second term. We're going to hear from election officials in Georgia and Arizona. So, Bosch, what do you think are the biggest takeaways so far? Well, I, you know, I do think that that hearing on Thursday uh, did have a bit of an impact on folks. Uh, be, watching Mike Pence, the vice president of the United States, have to hide in a garage below the U.S. Capitol for five hours as rioters took, you know, the floor of the U.S. Senate and tried to break into the U.S. House, literally leading to a shootout where one was killed outside the U.S. House floor. And Mike Pence, these images of him and his family, clearly angered, scared family. Mike Pence looking at Trump's tweets, looking at the Trump videos, um, having to be evacuated where he was 40 feet from insurrectionists. You know, I heard from some you know, conservatives who are quick to dismiss the January 6th committee as just solely a, a liberal political attempt to uh, distract from all of Biden's failures, in their words, uh, were like, wow, that, you know, that's something. I did see it compared to, to Watergate because uh, Friday marked the 50th, 50th anniversary of the break-in, uh, that this would be comparable to if Watergate happened and Nixon said, yeah, I did it. It's not a big deal. So what? What are you going to do to me? <laughs> Now, obviously, there's differences there, but like that's sort of, you know, what how some folks reacted. And there was a notable piece by both Woodward and Bernstein. Was that uh, wrong? Ch- All right. That's my second Seinfeld reference. Well, well, your your Seinfeld reference does get us to the larger point, which is, was there criminality and can they prove it against Trump? And it will have to speak to his mindset. Did he know what he was doing was wrong? Does he actually believe that the election was stolen from him? Um, or does, did he know that, you know, he sort of lost the election, which he said in certain references, and still went ahead with this plan, which would then lead to uh, a situation where the DOJ could prosecute him? Um, now, interestingly, on the Pence front, uh, this January 6th committee has received a lot of information about Trump's call to Pence, but they haven't yet heard Pence's side of the story, which is why if they choose to subpoena him, it could be so interesting. As far as today is concerned, you know, we'll be watching uh, Brad Raffensperger very closely. He's the Georgia Secretary of State who famously, infamously got the phone call from Donald Trump, which we've heard the audio, where the former president is asking him to find 12,000 votes to uh, ensure that he wins Georgia. So that testimony today, uh, this afternoon, should be pretty fascinating. From the New York Daily News, Leah Thomas barred from competing in women's events after a swimming body's transgender vote. Transgender women have effectively been banned from competing in women's events, Swimming International's governing body ruled on Sunday. In voting to restrict the participation of transgender athletes, FINA members announced a new, quote, gender inclusion policy that permits only swimmers who transitioned before age 12 to compete in women's events. And Moshe, it was overwhelming. It was by about 71%. 
Yeah, uh, scientists who testified to the committee uh, said that going through male puberty gives transgendered women an irreversible physical advantage over athletes who were female at birth. So even with testosterone suppression, they felt that once you go uh, through male puberty, that uh, basically there's no turning back, that that is a irreversible physical advantage. So swimming is now in line with track cycling and rugby in banning transgender women from competing against women who are female at birth. Soccer, by the way, does allow transgendered women to compete. Uh, this has obviously been a hotly debated issue in swimming since the University of Pennsylvania swimmer Leah Thomas became the first transgender NCAA champion in Division I history. She won a race back in March, leading to a bunch of uh, complaints that she had unfair advantage. She had competed on the men's team for several years before transitioning. And just as a point of comparison here, Jill, during the last season Thomas competed on the men's team, she ranked 554th in 200 freestyle, she ranked 65th in the 500 freestyle, and she ranked 32nd in a uh, third type of freestyle. When she moved to the women's category uh, and, and transitioned, she uh, moved to fifth place, first place, and eighth place, respectively. She was hoping to compete in 2024 in the uh, Olympics, and this uh, seems to stop that, at least at this point. Okay, this from ABC News. Uvalde officer passed up the chance to shoot gunmen for fear of hitting children. Uh, they write, a Uvalde police officer had the opportunity to shoot the gunman before he entered the school but did not take the shot for fear of hitting children. According to an official briefed on the investigation, that officer armed with an AR-15 style rifle, the officer who arrived with a rifle only had seconds to make that decision and feared that he would hit children with his weapon. The account first reported by the New York times. Yeah. I mean, this is, this just seems like the latest issue with the Evaldi response or the, the lackluster response, the Zavala County chief deputy sheriff tells the times in that story. Uh, you mentioned that any attempt to shooting to shoot the moving gunman would have been difficult, and that the officer would then would have faced harsh criticism for potentially shooting a child. Um, either way, there are a lot of questions and a lot of investigations, and already a lot of lawsuits. Uh, there's 148 public records requests that the city has received. So these are reporters asking the city for public records. That's body camera footage, 911 calls, criminal records, emails, text messages. So far, the city is refusing the release of any of it. Okay, let's head overseas. From the New York Times, Gustavo Petro wins the election, becoming Colombia's first leftist leader. For the first time, Colombia will have a leftist president. Gustavo Petro, a former rebel and longtime legislator, won Colombia's presidential election on Sunday, galvanizing voters frustrated by decades of poverty and inequality under conservative leaders with promises to expand social programs, tax the wealthy, and move away from an economy he has called overly reliant on fossil fuels. So this is just the latest in a trend. I've been hearing from a bunch of people on Instagram who follow me in South America that this is just the latest leftist. Uh, Argentina, Peru, Chile, Mexico, Bolivia, Honduras have all moved to the left in their recent elections. By the way, for people wondering why we refer to them as leftists versus liberal, uh, leftist officially is more kind of social socialist, where you want government control over the economy versus sort of traditional liberal, like democratic liberal, where you still work within the capitalist system. The more uh, you know. There you go, folks. And so uh, Colombia, you should also know, uh, third largest nation in Latin America, facing a lot of poverty and violence that has actually sent a bunch of Colombians to migrate here. And what is notable here is that Colombia, uh, you know, for many, many decades was fighting a rebel war, including against groups that uh, this new president was a part of. And so the fact that after decades, groups like the FARC made peace, uh, his group made, uh, you know, stopped, and yet 
he now is in charge of a country that was fighting leftist rebels for decades. And from the Washington Post, Israeli leaders announced on Monday that they plan to dissolve the country's parliament, the Knesset, next week, triggering the path for the fifth round of general Israeli elections in less than four years. Elections will likely take place on October 25th, according to Israeli media. Okay, five elections in four years. Moshe, how does that even happen? So Americans might complain about their two-party system, not having enough choices. This is what happens when you have the opposite. Too many parties. Uh, Israelis sometimes complain they have too much democracy. (laughs) So in this case, uh, the prime minister and the foreign minister said in a joint statement, they had an agreement, by the way, because this is a coalition, uh, that they were going to like flip roles every couple of years. Um, And they tried to effectively bring together uh, what I saw one newspaper referred to as an ideological kaleidoscope of parties, left-wing peaceniks, right-wing settlers, the Arab Islamist party for the first time, all of them united because they wanted Netanyahu, the former prime minister, out of power. It turns out it's hard to keep left-wing peaceniks, uh, Arab Islamists, and settlers all in one coalition. Yair Lapid's probably like, how did I not negotiate for myself to be prime minister first? <laughs> Um, we'll, we'll see what happens. I know that there's a lot of Israelis who are frustrated that they're going to have to vote again. Uh, and an excited Netanyahu that he might see this as an opportunity in the fall for his, uh, his comeback, his latest comeback. And Moshe, um, in some lighter news today, I managed to get through this entire podcast without absolutely losing my, you know what, laughing, <laughs> which was very, very cathartic for me because I really needed that laugh on our last podcast. But it, I apologize if it was uh, unprofessional for anybody listening. N- n- no, I, I so far I've only gotten good feedback about the laugh chill, but I'm glad I'm glad we were able to. Uh, we'll we'll bring back a Tom Hanks story at some point. For <laughs> yes, you I need it. All right, everybody, thank you so much for listening. We would love your feedback on how we're doing, or just your thoughts on whatever it is that we're covering. Email us at contactmonews at gmail.com. Subscribe as well to our Mo News newsletter at monews.bolton.com. And of course, follow on Instagram at Mosh, M-O-S-H-E-H. And if there's a platform we're not on that Jill didn't list there and you would like <laughs> to get news there, please let us know. Uh, and don't forget to follow us uh, on your podcast platform of choice, wherever you're listening to us, and review us. Um, every review, every follow does make a difference. It helps us continue to grow uh, this podcast in terms of distribution. And I know most of you probably listen on Apple or Spotify, but we have continued per your request to get on every platform. And I think, Jill, we're up on uh, more than a dozen platforms now. And I think we made it to Google, which I know uh, several of you were asking for. That's so exciting. Thank you again, everyone, for listening. Have a great couple days. We'll uh, we'll be releasing a big interview tomorrow on Wednesday. And then on Thursday, Moshe and I will be back for another edition of this podcast. 